pleasure to hear from our choir again. It's been quite a while as we uh, keep getting these things back that we have missed, so thankful for them this morning. Um, As you open the Luke 10, I heard a story one time that has stuck with me. One of our career missionaries that we support here at this church is Sergei Vashkovich. Uh, He and his wife, Sveta, are amazing believers. They haven't been here to visit us in a while. Uh, COVID didn't help with that, and uh, they were serving the Lord in Belarus. Belarus is a long ways away from Seaford, so uh, they got here as often as they could. They visited a couple times since I've been here in the last 10 years. Uh, They have a new mission field they're on now. They're in a new country. can't say where for the sake of their protection, but we still support them, and they are doing good work. But Sergei told us a story when he came to visit one time. Uh, When he was still in Belarus, they had a church there, and the main mission of their church was healing marriages uh, in their city uh, because uh, marriages were a wreck in the city of Minsk. And so their church would have these marriage conferences often, and as people would come, their marriages would be healed, and they would lead them to the Lord, and then they would stay at the church. And so that was kind of the focus of their church. It was an awesome church, thriving church, but the government opposed their church. The government in Belarus was continuously persecuting them, and in particular, the mayor of Minsk hated their church and uh, wanted to see it destroyed to the point that the government actually showed up with bulldozers and wrecking balls, and they were ready to knock his building down. They were going to knock down the church, and the only reason it didn't happen is because the American ambassador caught wind of it. And so she showed up, and she put her body in the way. She stood with Sergei and their church members, and the mayor of Minsk, though he hated the church, did not hate the church enough to tangle with the American government. And so once they saw the American ambassador there, they said, well, we better just leave these people alone. And I thought it was just an amazing story. Um, The ambassador rushed to the aid of that church. The ambassador did it with urgency. And the ambassador came there for the sake of peace. And the ambassador was totally reliant upon the authority that sent her there. She had no authority of her own. If she was not the American ambassador, standing there with Sergei's people would not have made much of a difference. It was the fact that she came on the authority of the American embassy. That is what turned away the wrecking balls. And I think that this is a picture of the work that Jesus sends 70 believers out to do in Luke 10, and it's also a picture of the work that we do as Christians. So uh, remember where we're at now, Luke 9, verse 51, we saw last week, Jesus has determined to go to Jerusalem. He has turned his face toward Jerusalem, and now the narrative of Luke is just moving toward Jerusalem. It's moving toward the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and him uh, coming to complete the task that he was sent for in his first coming. And so from the end of Luke 9 all the way to Luke 19, verse 28, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey, Jesus is on the road. And we're on the road with him here. And while he's on the road, we see him sending out 70 followers. So let's read, starting in Luke 10, verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. And sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, 
Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You'll be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Father, I pray that you will speak uh, this morning. Uh, I pray that the little uh, sinus drainage I have in my throat is not going to keep me from being able to preach uh, the full counsel of the gospel this morning, and my my voice would hold up. And I pray, Father, that um, our hearts would be uh, listening, and uh, we've celebrated already this morning the fact that your Spirit dwells in our hearts, and He is the one that Uh, opens our eyes to be able to truly see and understand the word that is before us. So open our eyes again, Holy Spirit, so that we could see and hear, and that we would be motivated to be laborers out in the fields. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, elephant in the room, some of your Bibles say 72 and some of your Bibles say 70. All right, let's start there. Who's got a 72? Raise your hand. Raise your hand at home, even though I can't see you. Group participation, right? All right. Who's got a 70? Okay, so we're about maybe 70, 30, all right? I've got a 70, so we're going to go with 70, but <clears throat> the, the manuscripts of the New Testament that we have are split right down the middle on this. Uh, we don't really know if it's 70 or if it's 72. It just depends on which translation you are using. This is not the hill to die on, so just move along, okay? Uh, that being said, uh, those who say it's 70 will point to the fact that in Genesis 10, there are 70 Gentile nations listed. And so, the number of disciples then corresponds with the number of Gentile nations in Genesis 10, meaning the sending out of the 70 is a clue that God's plan to save the Gentiles through His Son, Jesus Christ, is underway. So that's an interesting detail worth mentioning. But it doesn't change the meaning of the text one way or the other. As for the identity of the 70, we don't know who they are. We do not hear their names. We do not hear about them again in the book of Luke or in the book of Acts. We'll finish up with them next week, and then they're out of our lives until we see them in heaven. They are anonymous servants of Christ, and yet they have a very important job, an Elijah-like job, a John the uh, Baptist-like job. They are going ahead of the Lord, and they are blazing the trail for Him and preparing the road for Him spiritually as He is on His way to Jerusalem. 
They are going out and they are preaching the kingdom, letting people know the king is coming. And then coming behind him, what's going to happen? The king is going to actually come through their city, through their village, through their town. Their sending out is reminiscent of the way Jesus sends out the apostles in the beginning of Luke 9. They're singled out. They're given very similar tasks to the apostles. They're given incredible authority like the apostles. We'll see next week, authority to cast out demons. And yet, it's a temporary job. The apostles had a job that would continue on to their death. But for these 70, this is a temporary job. It expires once Jesus enters into the gates of Jerusalem. First thing he says to them is the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If the harvest is plentiful, that means that it's ripe. It's abundant. It's ready to be gathered. Now, Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. He's not sending these guys out to do farm work. He is sending them out to spread the good news, and he is sending them out to evangelize. So what Jesus is saying is that along the road that they're going to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, that there are an abundance of people, and that abundance of people uh, are ready to receive the king of the kingdom. They're ready to hear the good news. They are ready to surrender their hearts to the king of the kingdom. They are ready to repent. And so he sends them out and he says to them, pray, beseech that the Lord of the harvest would send more laborers into the harvest. So one of the important things for us to take note of early on this morning is this. Notice here that the harvest belongs to the Lord and not the disciples. The harvest belongs to the Lord, not the 70. It's God's harvest. Why is the harvest plentiful why is the harvest ripe it's not because these 70 have done something it's because the lord has prepared the harvest and now he's sending these disciples out to bring it in you and i are the light of the world that is our identity as christians and we've been told on the authority of christ to go and to make disciples of all nations and we baptize them in the name of the father and in the name of the son and in the name of the holy spirit but we are not the ones who bring the fruit we share the message that brings the fruit we preach the gospel of christ dying for sins rising again to provide eternal life but we do not produce the fruit of faith in the hearts of those who hear it's not our job here's how paul explains it to the corinthians they were super divided in the church and they were kind of saying whoever led them to christ or maybe whoever baptized them they would say well i belong to peter or i belong to apollos or i belong to paul that's my guy and they were becoming segmented and fragmented they were becoming divided and paul says to them what then is apollos and what is paul Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. I think people fear sharing the gospel sometimes because they think, well, I'm not eloquent enough. I don't have a way with words. I serve quietly in the background. Don't put me in, on a stage in front of people and don't put me in a confrontational one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's not what I do. Or they think, I don't have enough education. 
It's going to be a bunch of questions that the person in front of me is going to have, and I'm not going to be able to answer them. They think they don't have the people skills. And the reality is there's no amount of people skills and there's no amount of education and there's no amount of eloquence that's going to bring somebody out of a spiritual grave to eternal life. You're right, you may not have those things. But the good news is it's not your harvest. The only way people will go from death to life is by a work of God where He regenerates their heart and He makes it alive. And so what that does is it frees me and you up to share the gospel and to do it boldly, knowing that the Lord of the harvest is the one in charge of bringing the fruit, not us. I preached from Psalm 131 this past Wednesday night, and David says there, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. The salvation of souls is a matter It's too great for me. It's too difficult for us. We simply do what we've been called to do, and that is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The harvest is the Lord's. So that begs the question, if the fruit is not dependent upon the laborers, then why ask the Lord for more laborers, right? Well, the answer is not. We ask Him for more laborers because He needs us. That the people that he is calling to go to heaven won't go to heaven. They won't be saved if there's not enough laborers. That's not the answer. If he wanted to have the rocks cry out, he could. If he wanted to have the angels do the job, he could. If he wanted to crack open the heavens with his voice and speak vocally, he could. The answer is that bringing in the harvest is the plan of God Uh, bringing the harvest through His workers, His laborers, you and me, it's the plan of God. And also, it's one of the most rewarding and joyful things that you are ever going to do in this life. God chooses to bring about faith through the hearing of the preaching of His people. So we should pray that more and more of His people be involved because as more and more involved, more and more people are saved So he's being glorified in the salvation of those souls, but he's also being glorified because the laborers in the field doing the work, their hearts are filled with joy because they're doing the work of the Lord of the harvest. They're seeing people come to Christ. So not only is he being glorified through the salvation of the souls, he's being glorified by the souls who are preaching that salvation. And so that's why we pray for more laborers. He told us to. It's His plan. And there is so much joy for the laborers as they go out and do the work. Now, let's look at the instructions given to these 70. And as we look at them, understand that when the Old Testament Jews talked about the kingdom of God, they were talking about something that was far off in the distant future in their minds. It's not far off anymore. The king of the kingdom has broken into time and space. He is here. The Messiah has arrived. And so the job of the 70 is to go out and spread that word. To go out and say, the king of the kingdom is here. He's right in front of you. He's right here among you. He has pitched his tent with you. He is tabernacling with you. And the first thing you see about this work in verse 3 is that it's dangerous work. They're going to go out like sheep in the midst of wolves. The work of true disciples in the midst 
of this world is work that's in the midst of religious hypocrites, work in the midst of vehement opposers to the kingdom, like that mayor of Minsk that I talked about earlier. There is a threat to those who do the work of the kingdom. As you go out into the fields as a laborer, there's a threat. You're like a sheep among the wolves, and the wolves want to eat you. They want to destroy you. They want to halt the work of the kingdom. They want to halt the work of the gospel. And so in light of that, you might think that Jesus would say, here's a knife. Here's a sword. Here's a fast horse for you to ride on. That's not the case. You see in verse 4, they go out barefoot with no money and no bag. They are utterly dependent on the provision of God. There is nothing practical about this. When I travel, I get out my phone, I go to the notes app as I'm preparing to leave, and I make a little list of all the things that I'm going to need. And then as I actually get those things, I've gone on too many trips where I get there and I have no belt or no glasses, okay? So what I do is as I put those things in my bag, I check it off the list. That way you don't leave with that feeling that you forgot something because you know I checked everything off my list. If I forgot something, I forgot it seven days ago when I made the list. That's what we do. Right? You double check it. You don't want to get somewhere and realize you don't have a phone charger. Well, this is the mission that they're on. It's a mission where they are trusting the Lord literally for their next step. They can't even trust shoes on their feet. They've got to trust the Lord for their next step. They've got to trust the Lord for their next meal. They've got to trust the Lord for their next place to sleep. You see that in verses 5-7. through They are to go into houses and they are to look for a man of peace. Enter into a house, say, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, the peace will rest on him and it will return to the disciples. And the people in that house will receive salvation and then the pair of messengers will stay there eating and drinking and likely discipling them, right? Teaching them about the kingdom over mealtimes. My friends, David and Susan Dorner, are retired missionaries. They're back stateside now living in Florida, but they used to live in India and they were... Uh, International Mission Board missionaries in India for three years. There were militant Hindus there that made their job very dangerous. David has come and spoke here before. He spoke here while, um, <clears throat> while on leave on, at, at home for a bit. I don't know if you all remember that. But they would go there, and it was very dangerous because of those militant Hindus. So they actually took this scripture and practiced it in their evangelism. They would pray to God that God would provide a man of peace. And they would go door to door and they would knock on doors until they found the man of peace. And when the man of peace invited them into their home, they would stay with them all day. And they would share the gospel with them and they would eat meals with them. Because in India, if you have a guest, you feed them. And that was their strategy. It was straight out of Luke 10. And that's exactly what these disciples are to do. They're not supposed to go from house to house. If they come into a city and they're received, that's great. You stay there, you eat what you need to. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay for the ox to eat while he treads. They are to heal the sick. You see that in verse 9. They're to preach the nearness of the kingdom. But 
If they come into a city and they get rejected, then it's like the city is rejecting Christ himself. This is what Jesus says in verse 16. The one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. It's just like if in Belarus, the mayor of Minsk had decided he was going to take a wrecking ball to that building anyways and do some sort of physical harm to the American ambassador, our government would have said, if you harm the American ambassador, you harm us, right? The ambassador is there representing the United States. If you hurt the ambassador, you're hurting the United States, and then we have a problem. Jesus is saying here, you're like my ambassadors. You're going out. You're going out of my authority. You're representing the kingdom. If they reject you, it's like they're rejecting me. If they receive you, it's like they're receiving me. So if they reject the messengers and thus reject Christ, then the messengers are to go into the street and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest protest against you. What were they saying to the people? They were saying to them, the soil of your city, it's foreign soil to God. And you have proven that by rejecting his ambassadors. The king of the kingdom has come and in rejecting us, his messengers, you're rejecting his message and you are rejecting him. So, your city is foreign soil to God. And Jesus says it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom than it will be for that city that rejects these messengers and their message. That is a, that's a serious threat. If you've forgotten about Sodom or you've never heard about it, it's the Old Testament city from Genesis 19. The two angels visited it. Remember, they stayed with Lot and the men of the city came to Lot and said, these two visitors you have, let them come out. Because we want to have relations with them. We want to lay with them. And then judgment came down on Sodom as a result. It says in Genesis 19, Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Sodom was set on fire for their sin. And all throughout the rest of biblical history, Sodom becomes a symbol for sexual immorality and God's judgment against sexual immorality. And so Jesus is saying, you'd rather be associated with the stereotypical trademark city for God's judgment than be associated with the city that rejects these messengers that he has sent out. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Nothing has changed in terms of the danger of rejecting the gospel. When Jesus sent out his disciples, when he sends out his people who are the light of the world to go and make disciples, he says, go, right? And he says to go on, on what basis? That he has been given all authority. So as he sends us out to preach the gospel and people reject the gospel, we preach. They're not rejecting you and me, they're rejecting him. 
And they are in great danger because of that. Those who on judgment day come and stand before the king of the kingdom spent their entire lives rejecting him will also wish they were a citizen of Sodom instead of standing there in that moment. And the judgment's worse if you hear the full plan of God's salvation and willfully reject it. The judgment's worse if you sit under preaching every week and reject it. If you have a multitude of people share the gospel of the kingdom with you in your life and you reject it. R.C. Sproul said, greater judgment comes with greater light. The more light you have been given of the things of God, the more liable you are for your response to that message. What this does for you and I, what it did for the 70 and what it does for you and I, is that it makes the gospel incredibly urgent business. I know talking about eternal punishment and talking about eternal judgment and talking about the urgency to repent is difficult stuff. Many of you would rather me preach about money for five months straight than talk about hell for a Sunday. But the reality is is that Jesus taught more about the judgment of hell than the reward of heaven. A lot more. He compared it to the Valley of Hinnom, a giant trash dump near Jerusalem where trash and dead bodies burned continuously. He compared hell to a prison, to outer darkness. He compared it to a fire at least 25 different times in the Gospels. And if you believe that, if, if I believe that, if we believe that, then we should be urgently urging people to repent of their sin and to put their trust in the one who has sent us. I'm not telling you to put a sandwich board on and go stand outside a food line that says turn or burn on it, shouting at people through a megaphone, okay? The reality is is that the urging we do more often than not takes place over days and weeks and months and even years. Because we build friendships with people and relationships with people. We serve them. We pray for them. We care for them. But we're intentionally doing all of that because we see the dire need of their soul. And our end game is God being glorified in their salvation. The words of Christ should shake us out of complacency when it comes to our evangelism. Let's keep moving. Verses 13 through 15. Jesus pronounces oracles of doom upon three cities Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. So Chorazin sat on the north shore of Galilee, okay? And then just below it was Capernaum. Capernaum was right on the water. And then Bethsaida was to the northeast. And he names these cities because these are places where Jesus, in the first half of his ministry, His Galilean ministry performs many miracles, teaches many lessons, preaches many sermons. This is the region where so much of his ministry took place. And he pronounces woes upon them and says that Tyre and Sidon 
would have already repented if they had seen what Chorazin and Bethsaida had seen. He tells Capernaum, you'd be better off being tired inside and on Judgment Day than being you. Now, Tyre and Sidon kind of had a, a Sodom-like reputation. Jezebel, the evil queen whose name in the Old Testament is synonymous with opposition to God. Jezebel was Sidonian. That's where she was from. Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities to the north of Israel. And the Israelites would have looked at it like Vegas. The way that people look at Vegas, all right? Sin city, right? That's the way people looked at Tyre and Sidon. What's, what happens in Tyre and Sidon stays in Tyre and Sidon. You know what I mean? It's a, it was the city of Jezebel. So comparing these three cities filled with Jewish people, Abraham's people, right, to Tyre and Sidon, Jesus is saying this. The pagan cities you look at and you judge and you despise would repent in sackcloth and ashes. That was the Old Testament uh, symbol of repentance. To put on sackcloth and ashes was to show God your sorrow before Him. So they would repent in a very Jewish way if they had seen what you have seen. But you have not repented. And because of that, you'll wish you were them on the Day of Judgment. Again, it's the principle, more light means more judgment if the light is rejected. So we have a task before us just like they had a task before them. We don't do everything like the 70, all right? There's nothing wrong with having a little cash in your wallet while you share the gospel. There's nothing wrong with having a pair of Steve Maddens on as you share the gospel, okay? A pair of Birkenstocks, whatever suits your fancy. You don't need to go barefoot. You don't need to go without money. Nothing wrong with staying in a hotel on a mission trip. The instructions were for this specific mission. They might change for you and me, but the task does not change. The task before us is to still go and prepare the way for the gospel, to preach that the king of the kingdom has come. Like the U.S. ambassador in Belarus, we urgently go, reliant upon the authority that has sent us, And we preach the message of our kingdom as ambassadors of peace. And there is no time to waste. Wholly reliant upon the Lord for results, we represent His peaceful, eternal kingdom to a lost and perishing world. I don't have a ton of regrets about COVID in our church. And this date, I'm not going to knock on wood because we don't do that. But Lord, I'm, I'm not trying to be prideful here, but to this date, no one has gotten COVID in our church building. We've done a good job of trying to follow the rules and, and be as safe as possible. We've done a good job, I believe, of trying to keep our people at home connected as much as we can. I don't have a ton of regrets. I do have one, though. And that's that I feel like during COVID, we got so caught up in the constant pivoting, and it was constant. Because you'd come up with one set of, of rules that we're trying to follow, and then the governor would get on TV on a Tuesday and say, there's a new set of rules. And then you have to pivot again. And in all the pivoting, I think that the urgency of adjusting to the changing restrictions and the new ways of doing ministry 
cause us to lose a little bit of our lack of urgency in evangelism. Not totally. we got a live stream now broadcasting our services on Facebook every week, the biggest social media platform out there that's a huge, awesome praise. We still had evangelistic events. In Easter of 2020, many of our members prepared Easter baskets and delivered them to their lost neighbors that need to know the Lord. We continued to fund all of our mission work uninterrupted. That's a massive praise. So we didn't ignore the Great Commission. We didn't sit on our hands for a year. But as a leader, I felt like I let us drift away a bit. And, and one of the ways that I've really been convicted about that is drifting away from our Bless Every Home initiative that we started in 2019 where we are systematically praying for our neighbors throughout the week and looking for opportunities to care for them and to share with them. I know a few of you have continued on with that, and man, that's great. I, I love that you have done that, but I feel like as a leader, I, left it, I let it drift out of the big picture for us as a church. My intention is for us to revive that as we head into a new church here in September. Full force. Because when we look around our neighborhood... The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I always go back to my dad. Got off work one day, sat in his locker room, taking his boots off, getting ready to go home. Two men are having a conversation about Jesus. One of them turns and says, Mike, have you ever prayed to receive Christ as your Savior? He said, nope, never done that. They said, do you want to? He said, yep. And that was all it took. How many men and women like that are there who are just waiting for somebody to ask them? They might live right next to us. So we got to pray for more laborers to go into the harvest. But here's the catch, and this is the last thing I've got for you this morning. You can't pray that prayer unless you're ready to go yourself. You can't say, well, God, send more laborers into the harvest. And then he says, okay, you go. And he well, not me. I didn't mean me. I meant them. Send them. You can't do that. We've got to be like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here I am, Lord. Send me. As you pray for more laborers to go into the harvest, be prepared for the fact that you are going to be an answer to your own prayer request. You've got to go. And you want more people to go with you, so you pray for more laborers to go into the harvest, but you can't say, Lord, send them, but don't send me. Because He has sent you. I'll give you one more action point this morning as we close. When we talk about evangelism at SBC, it's something you do personally, but it's also something we do as a church. We have these things that we call gospel touch points. It's one of our core values as a church, where we will have events where we try to create opportunities for lost people to be in touch, not only with the gospel, but with people who can share the gospel with them. So we try to have events that we think lost people would enjoy coming to. In most years, we have three summer camps every summer. We're not able to do all three this year. Just not ready for that with COVID and the changing restrictions. And, and so we've decided to focus on one, and that is our vacation Bible school. It's going to be in July. We need workers. There will be lost people 
bringing their children and dropping them off here that week. The last night, we're having a big family night. We're doing it a little different. VBS will be four nights, four nights of normal, usual VBS. And the fifth night, we're going to kind of do like the upward basketball award ceremony. We're going to have this room filled with the kids. Their parents will be invited, and it's going to be high energy, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But we're also going to share the gospel that night. There will be lost people in this room that night. We need your help. So I want you to leave here today praying about how you can help with VBS. Email the church office and say, I want to help with Vacation Bible School so that Kimberly can find a place for you to serve. There will be more opportunities, but that's our next big one as a church body. So bless every home coming back. Look for it. As we get into the summer and we're heading into September, we're coming back full force with that. VBS coming up in July. Will you be a laborer? We'll pick it up here next week. Father God, thank you for using us and sending us. Didn't have to be us. This is your plan. This is your choice. Your sovereign choice is to send us as the laborers. People's souls are in grave danger, Lord. And you have sent us out to go and to preach the gospel. To herald it. What a privilege that is. We count it a privilege to tell people about new babies that are born in our families, about restaurants that we love to eat at, that have great service to wear shirts of sports teams that we support and love, to tell people about the job promotion that we just got. We love telling good news. Well, this is the best news. And the one thing we can't do when we get to heaven is evangelize. That, that work's going to be over then. And so this is the time. Now is the time. And we have been sent out with an urgent task. Send us out, Lord, today, relying upon you for the results, ambassadors of peace, pleading with people to know the King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.